0: Hey everybody, welcome to Jesse James Part 3. If you have been waiting for all the episodes to be completed in order to listen to this series, I must forewarn you that there will be a Part 4. So, there's just too much information here, don't get me wrong. I leave for Nashville for CrimeCon on Thursday morning, so I will definitely have the episode out by then along with a couple other episodes. So, I mean, that's pretty cool, but before we do get started, on a very serious note, I have to come at you with a heavy heart right about now. As a lot of you know, I am friends with a lot of my listeners on Facebook. I have got to know them personally as they have gotten to know me personally. Uh, We had a listener in the MC Nation family pass away not too long ago. She was very active in the group. Very active on the Facebook page, promoting the show. Uh, she was a very, very good person. and She was not very old. She was my age. She was mid-30s. It was very unexpected. And she did leave behind uh, an 11-year-old daughter, which just saddens me beyond belief. You know, what I'm going to do is... I'm going to observe one minute of absolute silence. And I ask you as a favor to me and as a person who's in your ear every week or two or three or four, depending on the episode, to observe this one minute of silence with me. But during this one minute of silence, I'm going to ask that you send all your positive energy, thoughts prayers, whatever you believe in religiously or spiritually, anything good, I want you to send to her family and to her daughter Keegan. And also, along with that, I would like you to look at your own life and your own situations. I've been lucky enough to have a seriously fucked up life to where I'm very weird about appreciating the small things and the connections that I make with people and, you know, all that kinds of good stuff. Like, life, I've never been a big materialistic guy. Material things don't mean shit to me. What matters is whether or not you have a good soul and whether or not you're an asshole to people. Melinda had a very good soul. She was a very good person. And it just... You know, I want... I, You know... It's hard to say, you know, just take this minute and look at yourselves. As beautiful as life is, it's fucking fragile. It's so very fragile. And tomorrow is never, ever guaranteed. So if you can, you know, take this minute. You know, maybe you and your significant other had a disagreement. You know, text them, let them know that you love them. If you haven't talked to your mom or dad or son or daughter, brother and sister for a while, text them. Life is too short to not let the people around you know how you feel about them. And it's also too short to be unhappy in life. If you're unhappy in your current situation, fucking change it. Quit waiting for the world around you to do that for you. You are all the masters of your own destiny, and everybody deserves happiness, and everybody deserves to realize how beautiful life in the world is. You know, we see all this negative shit on social media, on the fucking news, and nobody takes the time to look outside on a sunny day and just stand there in awe. I would hope that you at least observe this minute of silence with me. And out of respect for me, for the rest of the listeners, for the MC family, and for Melinda, who did pass away unexpectedly, and for her daughter. And I know her daughter has been listening to the Billy the Kid and Jesse James episodes. So I would like to say, before we do observe this minute, Keegan, hang in there, alright? Just have a little bit of faith that no matter what you believe in... Everything happens for a reason, whether it's meeting people or losing people. Everything does happen for a reason, and your mother will always be with you. Thank you all. All Alright, on with the show. This episode has taken me so fucking long. Because Jesse James's life after the Civil War is absolutely nothing but conspiracy theories. Speculation. There is so much to this. Whether or not he faked his own death. And for those of you who... Are going to sit here and, and fucking message me and tell me, well, they dug up the body and they did the DNA results and, uh, in 1995 and blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you something. If that's what you're going on, you don't know anything about the exhumation of the body of Jesse James because there is so much more to it that I didn't even know. I bit off more than I could chew with this series. I am not even going to lie. I honestly wish I could quit my job and somebody would pay me to research Jesse James's life and his association with the KGC. Because I would be a happy camper. Because I would never be out of a job. This research would never stop. So I will go ahead and say, you know, thank you for being patient for this Part 3 episode. There will be a Part 4. Part 4 will be out very, very shortly. Like I said, I leave for CrimeCon uh, Thursday early morning. Uh, I have already two episodes lined up behind this. Probably going to release one as a bonus episode, uh, which would be the live show from Cincinnati on April 14th. Um, but there is just so much going on. So, oh yeah, and by the way, I do have some reviews to read after the outro music, and for all of those of you who like the uh me reading the one-star reviews, we do have an iTunes one-star review that we do get to get savage on at the end of this, which, for any regular listener of my show, you guys are going to get a fucking kick out of what this person said. It is honestly adorable and one of the dumbest fucking things i've ever read in my life and before we do get started i would like to personally thank cole cammy and stephanie for their help with research i personally could not have done it without you this is more than i could have ever imagined with looking into shit fact checking just everything and when we get into the kgc section which will be part four Because I had to record this in sections for time purposes and to try to keep everything straight. In the meantime, before part four comes out in the next couple of days, I will say that you need to go to Astonishing Legends and listen to their three-part series on the KGC Conspiracy. Those guys do amazing research. Their whole crew, the ARC, which is the Astonishing Research crew they do amazing research they present it in a in a perfect manner and i highly highly recommend that you go check them out in the meantime before part 4 comes out i am going to base some of my kgc episode on their research uh, i'm not going to you know copy them i'm Basically going to use them for a backbone to try to connect the dots between the KGC and Jesse James. They themselves did the entire KGC and its history, its origin, where it's at now, the Buried Treasures. And it's absolutely phenomenal. So huge shout out to the guys at Astonishing Legends. As you regular listeners know, those guys are my heroes. They are the only reason that I even do a podcast now. So thank you for that. And I'm just going to tell you right now where I'm getting a lot of this information is quite a few books. One of which being Jesse James, the outlaw by Henry Walker, published in 1961. The border outlaws written by J.W. Buell and published in 1880. The next one being Jesse James, United States Senator, written by A. Ralph Epperson. Now, A. Ralph Epperson has written four nonfiction history books. And this would be one of them. He personally has researched J. Frank Dalton, Jesse James, and the connections between all of these various people for 45 years. Alright, so I'm not just coming out saying this shit out of my ass. I'm just literally telling you what all these combined books are telling you. Now, while we get into this episode, one of the first things that I do have to point out Is that while I was researching this, I did find it extremely, extremely odd that you have Bob Ford's story of the shooting that occurred. You have Zerelda James, Jesse's widow, who tells a different story. And then you have the evidence, which tells an entirely different story of the events of what happened. Now, I did not know the severity of some of the evidence, some of the stuff that we're going to look into. But I can personally guarantee you, if you think you know, I can tell you right now, you have absolutely no idea. Because it is one of the craziest things that I've ever researched. And I'm pretty sure some of this stuff is going to make you think twice about what history might have told you. First thing we're going to start off with is the events surrounding the shooting. Now, what Bob Ford says is that he was standing about six to eight feet behind Jesse James, shot him behind the right ear, and the bullet did not exit. He also states, and this is corroborated in the artist rendering of the shooting, that the guns were sitting on the table Right there beside them. Now, as we know, Z. James, Jesse James's widow, had stated that the guns were in the bedroom, on the bed. So there's one, you know, tiny little thing right there, which might not seem like a big deal, but it kind of is. Now, another little weird thing about this Bob Ford story is this is proven fact right here is that the gun that he used to shoot Jesse James was actually Jesse's gun that he had given him a few days prior to the shooting. And I imagine we will probably touch base on why he possibly would have given him this gun uh, a little bit here down the road. Uh, Not right now though. Another odd thing is the trajectory of the bullet Now, when I say bullet, I mean the bullet hole in the wall because from all other accounts, the exit wound, which is supposedly on the dead body, and I know this is going to sound confusing because it's so hard to keep straight. If you look at the official death photo above Jesse James's left eye, right by his eyebrow, there is a what looks like a cut. A uh, really thick cut now this is supposedly the exit wound of the bullet, and the bullet then went into the wall. Well, the trajectory of the bullet, if Jesse James would have been standing on a chair and where the bullet entered the wall, the trajectory is not right at all it's It's totally off the bullet hole. You know would have gone had to have gone like straight through and it stated that Jesse James was standing on a chair to either dust or straighten this picture. Now mentioning that that is another weird thing because the height of the picture that Jesse James supposedly was dusting and straightening. Jesse was tall enough to have not stood on a chair in order to, you know, straighten it or dust it off. He was tall enough. He had no reason, absolutely no reason to stand on a chair to do anything, which is a little bit odd. Now, jumping back into the, the body of Jesse James, there is damage. There is a death photo, a very famous one of Jesse James with a very full beard. Um, When he's laying there. And if you look at this picture. I know all of you are drawn to his face. Because he's got this huge long. You know bushy beard. The thing about it is. If you look at his right hand in this picture. Between right around his thumb and index finger area. It is very very bruised and purple and swollen. Now it is often suggested. That if Jesse James faked his own death. Or if he was possibly ganged up on and beaten before this, that somebody had twisted the gun out of his hand while he had it. And that is what would have caused like possibly a broken finger or all the bruising and damage around that right index finger and thumb. I mean, it is noticeably swollen and purple. And another thing about that mark above his left eye, which is, you know, it's, it's a very noticeable cut. If this bullet would have exited Jesse James's head, the exit wound would have been a lot bigger than this. It wouldn't have just been like a little cut, you know, that's maybe half an inch long. Bullets back then were very, very soft, and as soon as they hit bone, they would expand. So the exit wound would have been extremely devastating. So it's hard telling which part of this story is true, and it brings up a lot of question about the bullet hole in the wall by the picture, because the official story is that the bullet did exit Jesse James' left eye and went into the wall. Now, like I had said, Bob Ford testified that the bullet did not exit Jesse James's head. And another thing that we have to point out is that Bob Ford says that his head and his body fell backwards when he shot him. And a lot of people believe that this mark above the body's left eye is in fact... From the body falling forward and possibly hitting the wall. But that still really doesn't make sense. Because there really wasn't too much blood on the wall. And you know the exit wound like I said. Would have been extremely devastating. To the upper left hand portion of Jesse James's face. Now like I had stated Z. James. The new widow of Jesse James. Had stated that. Jesse James did have his guns on the bed. As a matter of fact, he always slept with his guns underneath his pillow. And the main reason being, there was a $10,000 bounty on this guy's head dead or alive. He had dozens of bounty hunters looking for him, along with federal and state authorities. Even if it was hot out like we had stated in part 2 even if he didn't want his neighbors to be suspicious it wasn't out of the ordinary to have one gun holstered Jesse James supposedly took off both of them now like I had said Bob Ford in his testimony and in the artist rendering of the events of that day the guns are right there on the table beside the Ford brothers now it brings up another question Why would a guy who is wanted by pretty much every bounty hunter in the country for that money... A guy who doesn't trust members in his own gang. I mean, Bob Ford and Charlie Ford had been proven thieves. These guys would do anything for money. And Jesse James did not trust anybody at this point in time. I honestly find it really hard to believe that he's going to turn his back, stand on a chair after he has taken his pistols off. I just, you know, something about that just does not sound right. Now, again, let's get into a little bit more about the the body, the death photo. Now, like I had pointed out, you have the cut, what looks like a cut, above the left eye. You have all this huge, I mean noticeable bruising around the right trigger finger and thumb area of the body. And then you have the full beard. Now, this should be known that initially... Zerelda James Jesse's mother when she came to identify the body initially she told them that this is not my son you guys have the wrong guy well she ends up coming back a couple of days later and says I was wrong this is my son a little weird right so they ask her, they're like, well, why, you know, didn't you say anything the first time you saw the body? Why did you change your mind? And she goes on and says, well, I didn't recognize him with the full beard. It is a proven fact that just within a few weeks before Jesse James was shot, he had visited his mother in Kearney, Missouri. So I find that very, very odd. And one of the many other questions that we need to ask ourselves Is Frank James. Alright. Frank James did go and identify the corpse. He was there. But. In a time of the wild west. Where revenge for killing a family member. Is carried out. By any means necessary. Frank James never tried to do this. And that is a very. Very good question of why he did not. And. There are a couple other questions associated with Frank James. Obviously, the Ford brothers met with Thomas Crittenden, the Missouri governor at that point in time. Uh, and they did like a little behind the scenes deal where they were going to, you know, plot to kill Jesse James. Now, Frank James had the exact same reward on his head and he was acquitted of all charges. Now, Frank James was. Worse than Jesse James. From all the research I've done, from what I've told you in part one and two, Frank James was a lot worse than Jesse James and he walked away scot free. He was acquitted by a jury of all his actions and he had the exact same reward on his head that Jesse James did. And then the Ford brothers as well. I mean, part of the deal with them with killing Jesse James was that they would get pardoned in which they did. Now, one of the really weird things is, is that in a book by Rudy Torelli called The Truth About Jesse James, I'm going to point out a couple little things. He states that there was an eyewitness account that saw Frank James with Bob Ford in Creed, Colorado. Now, Creed, Colorado is where Bob Ford went When he opened up his saloon with some of the money that he had earned from traveling around saying, yeah, I'm the guy who killed Jesse James, you know, he apparently never received the reward money for killing Jesse James, but he was obviously pardoned. He was found guilty, him and his brother were found guilty of the murder of Jesse James, they were pardoned, they were actually sentenced to hang, obviously that did not happen. So this would bring us to who the corpse actually is. If it's not Jesse James, it has to be somebody. And J. Frank Dalton is going to go ahead and say in the future that the person who was actually shot that day was a guy named Charlie Bigelow. Now Charlie Bigelow was a person who did resemble Jesse James a lot. And he was known to wear a beard quite often. Now, Charlie Bigelow was a member of the James Younger gang. But he was also going out on his own and committing a lot of robberies. And he was claiming to be Jesse James while he was doing these robberies. Now, that would explain why there were several letters to the press and to, uh, you know, the local authorities and government from Jesse James claiming his innocence on certain uh, train robberies and stagecoach robberies and bank robberies and stuff like that. Now, J. Frank Dalton, ironically enough, is not the only person to come forward and say this. Now, there's a guy named John Pierce who was a neighbor of Jesse James while he was known as uh Was it Thomas Howard when he was living in St. Joe, Missouri? Now he came, he comes forward and he says that he saw Jesse James two days after he was supposedly killed. And he also goes on to say that he knew the day before he had overheard a conversation that they were going to kill Charlie Bigelow in place of him. Now why they would do this, why they would choose Charlie Bigelow is A couple reasons, one of which being that he was claiming to be Jesse James because he did resemble him. He wanted the notoriety as well and the simple fact that apparently Charlie Bigelow had been giving information to the Pinkertons about their next robberies and what they were planning and what they were doing. So basically he was a snitch. And Jesse James knew this. And supposedly, like if you remember from my part one and two, that Jesse James had already hunted down and killed one of his gang members that he was paranoid of. Supposedly, Charlie Bigelow was the second person that he was, in fact, hunting down for giving information to the Pinkertons and for being an, you know, an informant and, um, you know, claiming to be him during a lot of these robberies. Now, if this was, in fact, the corpse of Jesse James, then why would Frank James not kill him on the spot? And why is there an eyewitness account of him being seen in Creed, Colorado with Robert Ford? Well, I'm going to tell you, there is a woman named Ola Everhart. Now, she is supposedly a third cousin to Jesse James. Now, where this comes from is she is related to one of Zerelda James's sisters. Now, Zerelda being Jesse James's mother, because as we found out from part one, Jesse James was uh, a first cousin fucker. He married his first cousin who, you know, had the same damn name as his mother. So, you know, weird shit aside, that's pretty much where that comes from. Now, what she states, what she tells Rudy Torelli in this book is that the Fords and the Jameses were actually cousins and that they were related and that this was one of the things that brought, you know, a little bit more, I don't want to say credence to, you know, the conspiracy behind the fake death of Jesse James. But it is an interesting little fact And above that, there's even more weird stuff going on. There's like so much stuff going on here. Apparently, in Rudy Torelli's book, The Truth About Jesse James, I don't know when the book was published, but in the book, uh, Rudy Torelli also states that there is evidence to support the fact that Thomas Crittenden who was the Missouri state governor who plotted to kill Jesse James with the Ford brothers, was actually a boyhood friend of Jesse James. Now this is really really interesting because there is also proof that Jesse James was a contributor to Thomas Crittenden's ...campaign for governor in 1881. Supposedly he donated $35,000 to a successful campaign. So it's not out of the realm of possibility to believe that Thomas Crittenden and the Fords could have conspired to fake Jesse James's death as a favor to Jesse James... From them being boyhood friends and the fact that Jesse donated this $35,000 to his campaign for governor. He only served one term from 1881 to 1885. And then we have to take into consideration that Jesse James was reportedly a 33rd degree mason. Which is something that you can only be by invitation. Governor Thomas Crittenden was a 32nd degree mason. And in fact, uh Harry Truman, the President of the United States, who wrote a foreword for a book about Jesse James, he was from Missouri, he was from the area of Jesse James, he wrote a foreword where he was talking about Jesse James quite a bit, now I cannot remember the name of the book and I do apologize for that I believe it's I believe the name of the book is called 10,000 famous Freemasons and that's where I'm getting this information from now if a 33rd degree Mason tells a 32nd degree Mason to do something whether it be you're going to help me fake my own death or you're going to do this because I donated $35,000 to you, we're boyhood friends, then the 32nd degree Mason would have to comply. Now, that's a pretty cool little fact if it is true. Now, Masonic Brothers take an oath to protect other Masonic Brothers, so technically this would make sense if it is true. Now, J. Frank Dalton goes on to say that he... As Jesse James was the one who gave Thomas Crittenden the $10,000 to put this bounty on his own head in order for him to have a reason to fake his own death and have his cousins, the Fords, kill him with the assistance of Thomas Crittenden as governor who could pardon anybody he wanted to. What's also super, super weird about this is in a book that was published in 1936 by H. H. Crittenden, which is the son of Thomas Crittenden, he invites a guy to write a chapter about outlaws. And it's basically a collection of memoirs, okay? The guy who writes this chapter on outlaws is a guy named J. Frank Dalton. Now, as you know, J. Frank Dalton is probably the most famous claimant to be Jesse James. He came out in 1948. He walked into, I believe, the newspaper, the local newspaper, and was like, Listen, I'm Jesse James. At that point in time, he was 100 years old. He ended up dying in 1951. And he pretty much lays out the whole story. J. Frank Dalton is a super interesting character. He was eventually found to not be Jesse James in the court of law, but I honestly think they wrote him off too quick. Now, a lot of people are going to go back and say, oh, well, 1995, you know, they exhumed Jesse James's body and confirmed by DNA testing that, you know, that was him. Not exactly. That's the official story. But that's not exactly how it goes down. And there's a lot of details involved in the fucking DNA stuff that Cammie sent me 69 fucking pages of notes on. Good lord, honey. That was fun sifting through. But we're going to get to that in a second. First of all, we're going to touch on Mr. J. Frank Dalton here. And why... He is still considered by a lot of people to be Jesse James. Now, this is where shit gets really, really interesting. So, in the middle of May 1948 in Lawton, Oklahoma, a guy named J. Frank Dalton comes forward. And at this point in time, he's a 100 years old. And he says that he is... Actually, Jesse James, and since 1882, he has been living under 72 different aliases. Obviously, the newspaper is like, dude, you're probably full of shit. But what they do is they have two reporters by the names of Frank Hall and Lindsey Witten. Now, they have these two reporters check out his story the best that they possibly could at this time, and they come back and say there's a good chance that this guy really is Jesse James. They ended up writing a small book, what is called, they called it a booklet. And it's called uh, Jesse James Rides Again, where they explain how they came to the conclusions that they came to when they said that they believe that he really is Jesse James. In the book by Del Schrader and Jesse James III, which is uh, called, uh, uh, Jesse James was one of his names, there are 41 sworn statements that say J. Frank Dalton was Jesse James. And these include historians and people that had known Jesse James in their younger years that were still alive. Now this is where things get really, really interesting. Not only did over a hundred people come and see J. Frank Dalton, in which Dalton encouraged everybody to test his memory. He would literally sit there and say, go for it, drill me, what do you got? Now, he knew details that obviously nobody else could have known unless they were the real Jesse James. But these were not huge, significant details. They were tiny little minute details. And it's really funny because... Calamity Jane wrote a book, I believe in 1889, for those of you who don't know who Calamity Jane is, go ahead and and Google the shit out of that, but she came forward in her book and she said, in 1889, quote, I met with Jesse James not long ago. He was supposed to be killed in 1882. I also know that his mother knew that the body in the coffin was not his and said that you know, this isn't my son. And she goes on to say that he was going by the name Dalton, but he couldn't fool me. Pretty interesting, right? And just so we know the reason that he supposedly took the name Dalton, uh, this goes back to, I can't remember which, which reference in which book because there's so fucking many of them that I dug into. Zarelda James. Jesse James's mother was supposedly a Dalton by birth, but if you remember in part One, I told you her maiden name was Cole. Well, supposedly it's because she was adopted by a family with the last name of Cole, so she took that name. but originally she was a Dalton, and above that, the other famous figure that came forward was none other than brushy Bill Roberts himself. And he claimed that he had lived next door to Jesse for about six years of his life. That part right there I'm kind of shady on. Not a 100% sure. But it is a documented fact that at one point in time Jesse James had met with Billy the Kid in their younger years. Which is super fucking awesome. And I wish there was a picture of them two sitting at a table together. That would be seriously awesome. But that is the other person that came forward and said, yeah, this is Jesse James. So what Jesse goes on, <laughs> Jesse, what he goes on to say is how he planned the killing of Charlie Bigelow and posed him as himself. Now, he says he invited Charlie over to his house and Charlie walks into the barn back be- back behind the house, and he goes and shoots him in the face, and drags him back into the house, which is right beside the barn. Now, even more weird stuff, to kind of backtrack, but trying to stay on the same plane here, Jesse Edwards James Jr., the son of Jesse James, wrote a book in 1899, and it's called Jesse James, My Father. Now, in this book... He explains how, you know, he didn't even really know his real name. He was known as Charlie Howard until his dad was actually killed, and then he was allowed to use his real name as Jesse Edwards James Jr., in which he was, you know, he got his middle name after, uh, you know, John Newman Edwards, the master of propaganda for Jesse James, you know, writing all those articles. And he also agrees and goes on to say in this book, that the Fords were in fact cousins with the James family. So, I mean, that's a little interesting side fact right there that you do got to know. Now, what J. Frank Dalton also says is the reason that he gave Bob Ford that gun a few days before his quote-unquote assassination, because that is the gun that he had killed Charlie Bigelow with. And he, he once he gave that gun to the sheriff to prove that, you know, this was the gun that killed Jesse James, and it would match the caliber of bullet and the same type of gun to kind of match everything up. And I mean, as we know, you guys, from part one and part two, and from what I've told you right now, Jesse James was not a stupid guy. He planned ahead every time. He was... A master of warfare. He was, and I'm not, you know, glorifying him in any fucking way possible, but he was a very smart man. So it's not out of the realm of possibility to think that, yeah, he, he could have, you know, totally premeditated all this shit. And another thing that J. Frank Dalton points out about the corpse, the Charlie Bigelow thing is that the part of the hair now (laughs) for a lot of guys, the the hair part is kind of like equal to, say, uh, a woman's eyebrows. Once they find that shit, they're not going to fucking change it because it works. It works perfect, you know what I mean? Ladies, trust me, eyebrows, you know, that'll make or break you. Same thing with a dude's part, alright? Now, in the death photo, the hair has a part on the left side. Jesse James was known to wear a part on the right side of the head. And how we can confirm this is from a wedding photo where Jesse and Frank James are standing and they are giving supposedly KGC symbols that are only given with the right arm and his part is on that same side. So that was another thing that uh, J. Frank Dalton pointed out about how to prove that, you know, hey, that was not me right there. Now another thing that we have to point out is there are several people that could have pointed him out as an imposter right off the bat one of those people was Rudy Torelli who was a huge Jesse James historian and he knew J. Frank Dalton from 1948 to 1951 51 is when J. Frank Dalton died and he would later go on to say and even during the time that he knew J. Frank Dalton that he was in fact Jesse James but not only that Probably one of the more more interesting people is a guy named Robert James. Robert James is the son of Frank James, the only son of Frank James. Now, there were several imposters before J. Frank Dalton that came forward. Robert James himself pretty much called out 26 of them. Okay, 26 imposters that Robert James personally would go and see and he would fact check them and he would say no you're not fucking it you're lying bro but one interesting little fact is that when all this went down what J. Frank Dalton says is that when all this went down it was to be a family secret that nobody would talk about him whether it was later years whether it was then whatever the case might have been. It was funny because there were a couple guys that said, hey, we're going to call Robert James to come over here and discredit you. And J. Frank Dalton looks at him and he says, you can go ahead and try, but I can guarantee you he won't even come here and see me for any any amount of time. So these guys go down and they track down Robert James and they're like, hey, We need you to come talk to this guy named J. Frank Dalton and discredit him as being the real Jesse James. And they offer him $10,000 just to meet J. Frank Dalton to discredit him. Literally no length of time specified. Robert James refuses. I mean, Robert James said, and I quote, I want to make it very clear. I will not see this man under any circumstances. End quote. That's pretty damn interesting, right? So, if it couldn't get any weirder than that, we still got some more facts to go over. In a book called The Many Faces of Jesse James, uh, it is learned that J. Frank Dalton, who would have been known as Jesse James, was... One of the pallbearers at his own funeral. Now, the other five pallbearers were J.D. Ford, Charles Scott, James Henderson, J.T. Reed, and William Bond. Now, until they uncovered these facts in the many faces of Jesse James, the sixth man was unknown. And they ended up finding out that it was a guy named Jim Vaughn. Now this was from the author's information. Now the most interesting fact about this is when the book called Jesse James was one of his names was written by uh, Jesse James the third who went by another name. He was a claimant to be a descendant of Jesse James and Del Schrader. They list the 72 aliases. That Jesse James used. In alphabetical order. One of those aliases was Tom Vaughn. Now it is. Possible that the first name. Could have gotten skewed. It's also possible. That it could have been a totally different person. Altogether. But. The best part about it is. Frank and Jesse James were known to use. The alias of Vaughn. As a last name. Now. Now. A woman named Sarah Snow, who was the daughter of a guy named Joe Vaughn, wrote a book in 1969, and it was called This Was Frank James, and it was all about Frank James. Well, the second part of this book was another little book entitled The Only True Story of the Life of Frank James, which was previously published in 1926. Now... Like I had mentioned, Sarah Snow was the daughter of a guy named Joe Vaughn. Frank James used the alias Joe Vaughn. Now, before Frank Dalton even came out and said that he was Jesse James, she had already tracked him down and asked him if Joe Vaughn was in fact Frank James, which would have been her father, and He told her, yes, that was one of my brother's aliases. He is your father. Now, it is accepted, and I hate saying the word accepted because it's pretty wild, but Frank James and Jesse James were known to have a lot of illegitimate children. They used so many aliases and went so many places that it is... I don't want to say common knowledge, but it is generally accepted that they did have plenty of illegitimate kids. Now, to back up some of this story of Sarah Snow, she has a picture of herself with a guy named John Trammell. Now, John Trammell is a very interesting character that was written out of history. Now, the reason John Trammell was written out of history is because of the sad fact that he was an African-American. And it wasn't up until probably like 10 or 15 years ago that he actually came to light. John Trammell lived to be, I think, like 120 years old. No bullshit, alright? Now, he was with J. Frank Dalton on his 102nd birthday, And he was one of the people that said this was Jesse James. Now why John Trammell is important is because he was actually a freed slave who had stumbled upon one of the hideouts of the James Younger gang. Well, they they didn't want to kill him because he was you know, pretty much an innocent guy, even though Jesse James and a lot of the other gang were known for killing innocent guys. So what they did was they took him on as a cook and they ended up getting, you know, to the point where they trusted him. They ended up becoming friends. Now it is known in history now that John Trammell and Jesse James, the original Jesse James, you know, despite despite the fact whether he faked his own death or not, were actually very good friends. And John Trammell went on to ride with the James Younger gang and even participated in a number of robberies with them. Now, I, I don't know why I just find that seriously fucking cool. I really do. And it's, it's sad that he got written out of history the way that he did, but the fact that he got brought out Of the shadows and brought into the forefront later on I think is really really cool. Now that is something to back up her claim about them being the Vaughns and her relationship with Dalton before he even came out and said he was Jesse James. Now let's get into some of the physical evidence that J. Frank Dalton had. Now, back in the day, the Pinkertons really didn't have any pictures of Jesse James. So what they started doing was they started keeping track of all Jesse's injuries. uh All of his wounds, all of his said, uh you know, bullet wounds and stuff like that. And that would include wounds that he had received uh when he was a boy. Now, if you remember in part one, I told you that When the Union troops showed up at his farm and they had uh, tortured and hung his stepfather, well, what I didn't actually know until I started researching J. Frank Dalton is that there was more to the beating and torture of Jesse James than I had initially thought. Now, this is confirmed by historians. Now, when... They show up at Jesse James's farm. Not only did they horsewhip him and beat him very bad, but they also hung him too. And they hung him to the point to where he was off the ground. And then they took a torch and they burned the bottom of his feet extremely bad. And they were said to have been severe burns. Now, why this matters is because when it came to J. Frank Dalton... The Police Gazette obtained these records and they sent guys over who were interviewing J. Frank Dalton to check out to see if some of these scars matched. All 11 scars that Jesse James was said to have had were matched by J. Frank Dalton and that would include the rope burns. Uh, scars around his neck from where he was hung, severe burns on both feet, a damaged index finger from a a bullet wound, I believe, and then seven other bullet wound scars. That would include two bullet wound scars in the same lung, which was reported by Jesse James as well in his personal journals, and it is known fact. Alright, now before we start getting into the detailed DNA shit. I gotta take a break and get a beer. I'm gonna play a couple commercials. I suggest you refill your drink because you're gonna have to pay attention to what I am going to say. It's very, very detailed and it's very, very long. So I'll meet you back here in a few. All right, here we go so in july twenty ninth nineteen o two Frank James takes Z Mim's body, which was Z James, the widow of Jesse James, from a morgue in Kansas City, where it had been stored since nineteen hundred Her remains uh are interred with those of her husband under the tombstone bearing the name Jesse James. Now, Frank James had stored z s body since nineteen hundred and put her in a grave with Jesse James. The body was exhumed from the James Farm and reburied by the James family in 1902. The James family was in sole custody of the body in 1902 when the remains were moved from the James Farm to Mount Olivet Cemetery. And uh, that would have been where the 1995 study was, would have been the actual second exhumation and third burial overall. Now on October 14th, 1978, an unauthorized second exhumation of Jesse James reported grave headed by a guy named Milton Perry, who was the curator of the James Farm and Museum. The remains were were taken and they were later encased in Tupperware bowl, er, in a Tupperware bowl, sorry, and, uh, reburied in the grave. Now, many people are not aware that the stars exhumed two graves marked as those of Jesse Woodson James during the summer of 1995 the Mount Olivet Cemetery site on July 17th through 19th in 1995, and then the original burial site and the yard of the James Farm on September 15th, 1995. Now, on July 15th through the 17th in 1995, a guy named Professor James E. Stars of George Washington University exhumes the reported grave of Jesse James in Mount Olivet Cemetery located in Kearney, Missouri for the purpose of using DNA testing to determine if the famous outlaw was really buried there. DNA results on the 14 or 15, uh, some reports do vary a little bit, uh, they were retrieved from the Mount Olivet, uh, Mount Olivet site were expected by September 15th, 1995. Now on september fifteenth nineteen ninety five Professor Stars obtains a court order to exhume the original purported grave of Jesse James to retrieve a Tupperware bowl said to contain at least one of Jesse James's teeth. He is quoted as saying, "The tooth could tell the tales and I would really i'm going to stop here and thank you so much cami for Doing these notes for me. I fucking appreciate it. Because this was a total mind fuck to me. So the exhumation uh, project leader. Was Professor James E. Stars. Now he originally planned to only exhume. The Mount Olivet Grave. But he ended up exhuming the original grave as well. Now the original grave was exhumed in 1902. For the purpose of reinterring the remains in Mount Olivet Cemetery, and then re-exhumed in 1978 to retrieve the remains that were left behind in 1902. Now the two doctors, Stone and Stone King, performed the DNA tests, and five years later they, along with Professor Stars, published their first final report regarding the DNA results. Now here's what they found. They found a rusted bullet, fifteen teeth, four of them were gold, and a tie pin that resembled the one in Jesse's open casket photo. Now stars happily reported that the status of the bones had changed from mung, which is very very bad, to quasi mung. I think that's how you pronounce it. Might be munje mung. I don't know. To uh, to bad. So. Basically, the bones went from very, very bad to just a little bit bad. Now, Jesse was buried in a wooden coffin, not a lead one, as everyone had previously thought. So, he goes on to say, We want the outside world to know that the Democratic press of Missouri does not regret, but rejoices at all things, except that a gun was used instead of a hangman's noose and a $500 casket instead of a pine box. Now, two human teeth found on the grounds of the James Farm and Museum in 1978 are said to have been placed in the museum. Now, members of the James Samuel family lived on that farm since Robert and Zerelda purchased it from Jacob Groomer in 1845 until Zerelda moved away in 1902. Now, a guy named Stephen Caruso, uh, he said he gave stars the teeth, which were in the Tupperware Bowl. And he says, quote, Mr. Caruso was deputy counselor for Clay County at the time of the 1995 exhumation and represented the James Farm and Museum in their attempt to prohibit stars from taking possession of the remains in the Tupperware Bowl now the county commissioners voted 3 to nothing in star's favor now caruso goes on to say quote i don't think the the teeth we give him have anything to do with what he dug up now cool little side fact on this is that multiple bodies were found in this grave okay this goes on to where we dig up Uh, J. Frank Dalton, because J. Frank Dalton was also uh, exhumed. Now, in Granbury, Texas, uh, there were over a 100 relatives, history buffs, media types, all kinds of uh, people uh, gathered, and they were going to dig up a grave that was simply marked Jesse Woodson James, and that was pretty much before the anthropologist on site discovered Not one, but two caskets three feet under the ground. One of the caskets was in a sealed vault, which was definitely unexpected for the people digging because the records show that the body was buried in a cloth-covered redwood casket. So the sealed vault casket was clearly marked Jesse James. Now the second casket was found about eight inches away was a wooden casket. Now that was unmarked. So he goes on to say, quote, "There is all kinds of speculation. One of them said it's one of his wives. One of them said it's possibly Bell Starr who, if you do not know who Bell Star is, you should definitely dig into her. She is a super cool woman outlaw of that era. Super awesome now, Granberry's attorney, a guy named Stephen Reed, who represents uh you know three of the James relatives." ...said of the second casket, quote, we don't know for sure who it is. Now, the Jesse James grave is located in a family plot that belongs to a guy named Sam Rash. And he basically befriended the old man, who was J. Frank Dalton. Um, And the records show that when Dalton turned a 100 in 1948, he revealed himself to the Lawton Constitution as Jesse James... Now, obviously, the skeptics came out, and, you know, and then there were the believers that came out. Now, this guy Glassman was pretty much told to expect a wooden casket, which would likely have been deteriorated. Now, he hoped the remains would be intact enough to extract some kind of molar tooth on a sample of the femur bone and a finger or foot bone for testing. Uh, The team was pleasantly surprised to find the casket in a sealed vault, uh, which meant that the remains were better preserved, but they were not expecting to find the other casket less than two feet away. The unmarked grave will not be disturbed, however, because there is not permission to do so. Now, what ended up happening was the DNA samples from the Granberry remains were compared with those of James' descendants. And this is, uh, I mean, there was a lot of questions about some, some missing limbs. Okay. Check this out. A guy named Luther James, who is a descendant, gave a reporter his eyewitness account of, uh, Clay County, Missouri Sheriff Timberlake, uh, opening the casket in the James Samuel family farmhouse before the burial. And he pretty much noticed that uh, the limbs of Jesse James were missing. Now, according to Timberlake, he said, quote, the limbs had been taken off at St. Joseph, Missouri. Now, femur bones, the longest and thickest bones in the human skeleton extended from the pelvis to the knee, were found by Professor James E. Starrs and his exhumation team in the grave marked as that of Jesse Woodson James in Kearney, Missouri's Mount Olivet Cemetery, and they fully exposed the 1995 DNA results as being totally fraudulent. Now, Sheriff Timberlake was the person who had direct charge of the casket when he was buried. It says, "...we placed it close alongside Johnny's bed so that he could see the face of his dead brother when the casket was opened." Quote, Mr. James then made a sensational statement. He said, legs missing from corpse, though casket was the same width at both ends and the sheriff opened the wrong one, we found that there were no limbs to the body. The limbs had been taken off at St. Joseph. Uh, it was lighter at one end than the other when you carried it into the house, Miss, Mr. James. And This question was asked to Mr. James and he says no we didn't notice anything until the casket was opened. I called Mrs. Samuel's attention to the condition of the body and she demanded of Sheriff Timberlake to reopen the casket so that she could see it for herself. Now, here is some info into the hair and tooth inquiry, okay? Now, S.T.A.R.S. admittedly lied about not being able to exhume Jesse James's mother to use her DNA sequence to compare against the DNA sequence of remains that allegedly originated from the exhumed grave. Now, S.T.A.R.S. even admitted in his book, which is called A Voice for the Dead, that he fabricated the statement he publicly made about Missouri law prohibiting him from exhuming Jesse James's mother's Zerelda James Samuel because she ended up dying from natural causes. So legally, he was not allowed to exhume that grave. Now, the scientists used DNA testing of Jesse James's known relatives to determine whether the remains are those of the outlaw. Now, a guy named Robert Jackson of Oklahoma City, who is a great-grandnephew of James's sister, attended the court hearing, and he was one of three relatives to donate blood for the DNA tests. The exhumation must be done before the end of July, is pretty much. They were on a time limit, alright? And the remains had to be reburied within 90 days. And this was by a rule of Judge Victor Howard of Clay County. Pretty interesting last name there, right? Last name is Howard. So a DNA test brought the evidence all the way down the James family tree to Oklahoma City attorney, a guy named Robert Jackson, who was 65 at the time, and his nephew, a guy named Mark Nickel, who was 36. Now the scientists were able to confirm that the body in Mount Olivet Cemetery was maternally related to the known descendants of Jesse James's mother. The specific test used was called a mitochondrial testing, which compares DNA that's inherited only from an individual's mother. Now people related through a direct mother-daughter link will match. In order to match the DNA with Jesse James, scientists and genealogists had to follow the James family tree from Jesse's mother, who was Zerelda Cole James Samuel, which was the family's maternal line which continued from Zerelda to great-great-grandson Robert Jackson and great-great-great-grandson Mark Nickel, what they found was Jackson is Jesse James's great-grandnephew and Nickel is James's great-great-grandnephew. Now, both of these guys provided the blood samples in 1995. Now, one of the interesting things that we do have to bring up is that there were two graves bearing Jesse James's name in Clay County, Missouri, the original grave and then Carney's Mount Olivet Cemetery grave. Now Professor Starrs originally planned to only exhume the Mount Olivet grave, but he ended up exhuming his reported original grave as well. The original grave was exhumed in 1902 for the purpose of reinterring the remains in Mount Olivet Cemetery and then Re-exhumed in 1978 to retrieve remains that were left behind in 1902. Now, Jesse James's boyhood home is pretty much a tourist attraction, okay, known uh, as the James Farm and Museum. And a tombstone does mark uh, his reported original grave. Now, Professor Starr submitted two bones and 14 or 15 teeth, because reports do vary, which were retrieved from the Mount Olivet grave to doctors Stone and Stone King at Penn State University for DNA testing. Now, their final report states that, quote, None of the remains retrieved from the Mount Olivet grave were suitable for DNA testings. They were poorly preserved, presumably, to wet and slightly acidic soil conditions. End quote. Now, their report also states that only two teeth and two hairs retrieved from a 1978 exhumation of the original gravesite on the James family farm yielded reproducible mitochondrial DNA for testing. Milton Perry, who was, uh, he's passed away now, but he was the curator at the time for the James Farm Museum in 1978. Now, he performed an unauthorized exhumation of the original grave in 1978. Now, the cur- the current curator uh, at the time of this article in, uh, was a lady named Beth Beckett. Now, she told the author that Perry encased the human and animal remains retrieved from it in a Tupperware bowl and stored it in a, his desk drawer. Now, Beckett further said that Perry handed out the remains encased inside the bowl as souvenirs to various individuals that he saw as fit. He was fired for unrelated reasons. Now, before he was fired, he augured a hole in the original grave and reburied the Tupperware bowl along with all the other remains that were in that Tupperware bowl. Now, here's where it starts getting thick. A guy named Gene Gentrop wrote, quote, Stars credited a tooth retrieved from the James Farm and Museum as being key to his probe. I worked as an associate editor for the Kearney Courier during the exhumation of Jesse James and subsequent DNA tests. I wrote the article in the newspaper's Special Collectors Edition in which Professor James E. Stars Said a tooth collected from the James Farm Museum provided the necessary DNA needed to prove that with a reasonable degree of certainty the remains buried in Mount Olivet Cemetery in Kearney are indeed Jesse James. I never heard that any of the teeth found among the remains exhumed from Mount Olivet carried sufficient DNA for the purpose of Professor Stars's investigation. Likewise, Stars expressed his disappointment that no teeth were found in the Tupperware bowl unearthed from Jesse's original grave at the family farm. I did write in a later story that Stars credited the tooth from the James Farm Museum as being key to his probe. I never thought to ask about the contradiction. So what about the tooth that S.T.A.R.S. used for DNA testing? Where did it come from? End quote. Now, as you noticed, there are varying reports as to whether or not there were any teeth in that bowl. Some claim that S.T.A.R.S. expressed a lot of disappointment because there was no tooth in the bowl. While uh the Missouri attorney Stephen Caruso says there were teeth in that Tupperware bowl. And the reason these teeth are so important is because that's what they based this entire DNA evidence on. Gene Gentrop, who, like I said, he was the former editor of the Kearney Courier, goes on to say that two human teeth found in the grounds of the James Farm and Museum in 1976 were placed in the museum. The James Samuel family had lived on that site for over 60 years. So it is very probable that those teeth could have belonged to Zerelda herself or any of her children, which would result in a positive match to a true descendant's DNA sequence. Not only did the teeth come from the museum, so did the hair used for DNA testing. And Stars acknowledges that. Now moving forward, okay. We're hitting the statements and theories section of this whole DNA sequence thing. And I know it sounds very, very confusing. Trust me, when I read through this shit, it is confusing to me too. But I'm, I, I'm hoping I am explaining it good enough for you guys. Now, Stephen Caruso, the deputy county counselor for the Clay County at the time, protested the exhumation from the start. Now, today he will tell you the whole thing was quote-unquote phony. He says they tried to do DNA testing on remains that were not Jesse James. Now, Caruso goes on to claim that at one point someone lost Jesse's hair that was to be tested, but then it suddenly turned up. He claims someone submitted their own hair in place of lost hair, which was, unfortunately... And then the counterpoint to that, which is from the same source, says that others involved in the investigation in 1995 said everything was legitimate. John Clayton, a forensics and ballistics expert who retired as chief criminalist in the Kansas City Police Crime Lab after 42 years, said there was evidence to suggest the remains in Carney were Jesse James. For one thing, they found a Thirty-eight caliber bullet, which is supposedly, they said, very likely from Jesse's injury in the Northfield, Minnesota robbery. Now, Stephen Caruso, during the 1995 exhumation and the DNA testing of Jesse James' reported grave, he recently revealed that the 1995 DNA results touted as proving with a 99.7 degree of certainty that the infamous outlaw Jesse James died and is buried, as his reports, are fraudulent. Caruso said that instead of abiding by Clay County Judge Vic Howard's order to hand over hair and teeth stored at the James Farm and Museum for DNA testing, he gave him hair he obtained from the head of John Hartman, who was the director of the Clay County Parks Department in 1995. The Clay County Parks Department owns and operates the James Farman Museum, and Caruso represented them. Now, the hair submitted for DNA testing originated from the head of John Hartman. The teeth submitted for DNA testing are of unknown origin and had nothing to do with the teeth that were dug up, Hartman Hartman ended up going on and saying. Hartman is quoted as saying, quote, "...the results of the 1995 examination should be published as they were found, not as they had been framed or sanitized for public consumption." End quote. The validity of the two DNA reference sources is highly questionable. Doctors Stone and Stone King's DNA results are highly questionable. Now Duke, who is a descendant of Jesse James, and another person named Ellison decided to go on and report it to Clay County, Missouri, in order for "quote unquote" truth to prevail. Now on Oct- now now on July twelfth, two thousand eleven, their notarized affidavits were faxed to the Clay County prosecuting attorney, a guy named Jim Roberts. Now he is a spokesman for the Clay County Prosecutor's Office. Now, he replied to Duke via email, telling her that Clay County is not lending any credence to Caruso's confession of fraud and won't investigate it. Now, Betty Dorset Duke, she goes on to say in a publication um, that Stars and his associates maintained that the hair and teeth used for DNA testing were obtained from the 1978 dig of the original grave, but... In 2001, Caruso again comes forward and tells news sources that the teeth submitted for DNA testing had absolutely nothing to do with the teeth that were dug up. Duke goes on to relate that the origins of the remains reportedly retrieved during the 1978 dig were highly questionable, even if fraud wasn't involved. So, basically, there still, to this day, is a fight going on between J. Frank Dalton's family, Jesse James's family, and all these scientists involved in the DNA testing. Now, I hope, you know, I kind of explained that. I know it's super fucking confusing, okay? But, basically, what they're saying is... That they think that there was fraud involved. They think a number of things, okay? One of which being that the, you can, that they cannot prove the teeth and hair pulled from the gravesite were actually that of Jesse James and that they extracted just enough DNA and they possibly just straight up fraudulently said, yeah, these are his, let's lay him to rest, let's get done with this. Now, the other side of the coin is that they're saying, how do we know for certain that these are Jesse James's teeth? The James family owned this farm for 60 years. Now, this is DNA that is passed from a mother to a child. Now, as we know, the James family had siblings that died. That were buried on those grounds as well. Along with Zerelda James herself. So they're saying that there's a very good possibility. That the teeth extracted were those of Zerelda herself. Or one of her other children that had passed away. Meaning Archie. Or uh one of the, I think there was an older sister or brother that they had. That had passed away shortly after birth. It was only I think it was only like a month or three months old or something like that. So basically they're saying there's no definitive way to actually prove that the things they used for DNA testing are actually those of Jesse James himself because of the unauthorized exhumations and reburials over the years. And I hope you guys understand why the fuck this took so long to get out. There's so much shit going on. And this is the reason why i probably going to stop now. And we're going to continue some of this in part four. We're going to talk about the other two claimants that had claimed to be Jesse James. One of which I a uh, guy by the last name of Courtney. And another one being Jeremiah James. Who is a really, really interesting one. I'm not going to lie. Jeremiah James was... Um, One of the ones that I p- actually picked up on first other than J. Frank Dalton be and for a few specific reasons that are honestly like creepy as shit. Uh, really interesting stuff though. And in part four, we will get into the buried treasure and his affiliation with the KGC. We're going to try to connect all of those dots and try to find out once and for all if Jesse James for one... Died in 1882, shot by Bob Ford. And for two, three, and four, whether or not he buried a shitload of treasure around the Southwest, namely Missouri and Oklahoma area, possibly the Superstition Mountains, and whether or not he was involved in this huge secret society known as the Knights of the Golden Circle. And until then, stay tuned. For after the uh, outro music. And uh, I'm going to hang out and read some reviews. So thank you very much. And I'll see you on the flip side. Everybody first and foremost Gotta give a huge shout out to Liz Dennis I had totally forgotten about this review Because she sent it to my messenger Because it said Or she told me that she Could not post it on iTunes It is a five star review And it says definitely worth it Not going to lie I was loving the first episode I listened to As it was a list reading Which is when I do like a list verse Or whatever reading like that says, uh, "I listened, or uh, it says, but I gave Justin more episodes, and this has become a bright spot in my queue." The podcast feel feels like I am hanging out with a good friend, talking true crime and creepy stuff. Also, he likes hockey, so extra points for that. Keep up the great work and bringing attention to the cases you do, Liz. Thank you so much for that. Um, I currently hate hockey because uh, my Flyers are out. And it really fucking saddens me. But I mean, I guess I'll live another day, but you never know. But I appreciate that, and I'm sorry for some reason iTunes wouldn't let you post that. Uh, It's kind of disheartening, but uh, you know, it is what it is. It happens, I suppose. But thank you for taking that screenshot and sending it to me. Oh, let's see what we got next. Uh, I'm going to probably save the one star for last. I will say that. Oh, we got a new one from Australia. And shit you not, it is True Redhead. Ah, yes. Says five stars. Always interesting. I could listen to this podcaster's voice all day. All topics are always interesting, his stories are different to anyone else I listen to. I subscribe to 239 podcasts and Mysterious Circumstances is in my top 10. Thanks for all your hard work, Justin. You know what? That is a huge fucking compliment right there because the uh, you know, the genre is getting thicker by the day. I'm happy to be in your top 50, true redhead. So thank you very, very much. I uh you know I can't thank you enough. I really can't. Next up on the list is uh let's see Boom Squanda, I believe that's what it's called. Five stars says great podcast. I heard about this podcast through Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm so glad I did. Justin does a great job and the subjects are well researched and very interesting. Great job. I don't know how you do it with notes. We're without notes, but good on you. Um, I do have some little uh, notes, but for the most part, I try to remember what I can. You know, it happens. Um, You know, I die. My memory, I smoked the best part of my memory like 20 fucking years ago. But um, next one, ah, yes, one of my favorite Listeners ever Mrs. Captain America zero one five stars says great show great host I've been listening for about six months but just got around to reviewing the topics are great and love the way each topic is told well researched and different from other true crime type podcast highly recommend and then she threw me the thumbs up. Miss Captain America I'm glad you finally decided to join My fucking Facebook group We've been following each other on Instagram Forever about fucking time (laughs) Alright But no thank you very much and uh Go Cubbies But uh and the next one Is my fabled One star review From Cheese and Wine And Wine is spelled W-H-I-N-E Because That's what this person is good at says, I really tried. I really, really super tried. But this podcast is terrible. Zero talent. Dude just likes to hear himself talk into a microphone. In all capital letters, anybody can find these topics on the web. Read it in 15 minutes and still know more than this guy. And if you're going to have a great guest host, at least step up the voice quality. If you're really interested in quality crime podcast, check out Casefile. 1,000 times better, everything, hands down. Okay, here's the deal. First of all, Casefile is 10,000 times better than my podcast. Because uh, that's not an indie podcast. Because you see, Thomas over there has a production team and a script writing team behind him. He is merely a fucking voice. That is not an indie podcast. That is like comparing special effects in the movie fucking Avatar to Little Shop of Horrors. So you're fucking stupid, cheese and wine. Second of all, yes, congratulations. I'm so fucking happy that you discovered Google and that, yes, you can find all these topics on the internet. I am very, very pleased that you did discover this. But I am going to say this, though. Some topics have more information than others out there. Second of all, you know, I would fucking love to see you find what I found in just this part three episode of Jesse fucking James in 15 minutes on the internet, you motherfucker. All right? You know, anytime you want to accept that challenge, go get your fucking podcast. Let me know which one it is, and I will be more than fucking happy to troll you and out-research you from a listener standpoint, and then criticize you anonymously. So, bye Felicia. Don't even know if you're a fucking guy or girl, but you're getting a bye Felicia. And, on that note, I'm going to finish my beer, I'm going to finish my cigarette, and I'm going to go to fucking sleep. Because doing Jesse James Part 3 was like giving birth to a fucking man-child. And I'm so happy that the goddamn thing is out of me. Stay tuned for Part 4. I fucking love you, MC Nation. Cheese and wine, you can go get fucked. Love you guys. Bye.